invite you now to take your Bibles as we open God's Word. And we will read from the Scriptures, uh, from Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 8, read verses 1 through 17. Romans 8, 1 to 17. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds with the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Thus far, the word of God. This afternoon... I may proclaim to you God's word as it comes to us through the lens of the Heidelberg Catechism. I understand that uh, Reverend Paul is working in the Lord's Day uh, 32, 33, 34, in that area of the Catechism. So um, um, I, I, I stay away from that. Um, this afternoon we are going to look at the unique person of our Savior Jesus Christ. He is divine and he is human at the same time, and we all know that. Somehow we have all learned that, but what does it mean? And why is that? 
If you look at that through the lens of the Lord's Days 5, 6, and 7a, the first question and answer, of the Heidelberg Catechism, you find it on page 521 of your Book of Praise. That's, about where, that's where it starts. So we read that. It's a bit of reading, but Lord's Day 5, 6, and then the first question and answer in 7. Here we confess. Since, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. And that was the conclusion of the previous Lord's Days, 2, 3, and 4. How can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment, either by ourselves or through another. Can we by ourselves make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. And furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true and a righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is at the same time true God. Why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he at the same time be true God? He must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? Our Lord, Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. From where do you know that? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later, he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and the prophets, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. Are all men then saved by Christ, just as they perished through Adam? No. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. Thus far, this part of our confession. In, um, in response to the preaching, immediately after the sermon, we'll sing hymn three, verse three. Hymn three, stanza three, a song of response. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord's days five and six, uh, the Confession gives us a fascinating tour through the Bible. You may not feel it that way when you read it for the first time, how fascinating that is, but it really is. Step by step, it shows us the outline of God's amazing way of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's, it's just marvelous. But one thing... As we follow this, this tour guide, if I may call it that way, don't expect him to make this way of salvation reasonable or, or 
comprehensible for us. That's not the purpose. So that, so that you follow it all and say, okay, okay, yeah, sure. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, now, now I understand how it works. No, no. That's not the purpose. He deepens our astonishment. He wants us to more and more praise the mercy of God to marvel at the miracle of His grace. We learn to stand in awe as we zoom in on the unique work and person of our Savior Jesus, true God, true man at the same time. You could say that Lord's Day 5 and 6 picture us as, as seekers, seeking for something. And don't be mistaken, by nature, you and I are not interested in seeking salvation. We couldn't care less. By nature, we are not interested. No one is. However, in the first part of the Catechism, we discover the seriousness of our sin. In Lord's Day 2, 3, and 4, we find out what kind of people we are, all of us. We may not like to hear that, but the reality is that you and I are stuck in a miserable life, a life that is filled with sin against the most holy God. And it implies that the holy God has the indisputable right to punish us. And all we can do is acknowledge that and accept it. But that's not the last word. God being God is just and merciful. And so by making us aware of our sin, by confronting us with the root of our human misery, He will trigger in us our seeking and asking for the way out. And then you may also trust that He will not let you try to find the way of salvation all by yourself. You will never be able to do that. Now, in His Word, God comes. And in His Word, God opens our eyes for a unique way that He has chosen to save you. When you read how these questions and answers, the whole list of ones that we have read, how they unwrap this, you can only praise God with increasing amazement. Here the church repeats what God has said first. Recognize the gospel of the narrow gate, the gospel of the only passable way of salvation. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one way of salvation for everyone. This is the unique and amazing way of salvation of our triune God. God's amazing way of salvation. That's what we're going to look at this afternoon. God's amazing way of salvation. We will see how the Father reveals the way, how the Son is the way, now the Holy Spirit opens the way. So God's amazing way of salvation, the Father reveals the way, the Son is the way, and the Holy Spirit opens the way. Congregation, uh, question 12, to, to begin with in Lord's, Day, uh, in Lord's Day 5, sums up what the situation is we find ourselves in. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. That's unavoidable. And that's not because God isn't such an unreasonable stick in the mud, but because He's a faithful God. God always does what He says. 
So that's a good reason for us to take God and take His Word very serious. But when you do that, you can also expect the question how to escape God's punishment, to be again received into favor. After all, if God keeps His Word, then that's not only true when He comes judgment, but also with regard to promises. And, and you might remember that right after the fall into sin, God gave the promise to set things straight again. That's Genesis 3 verse 15. And that triggers, of course, the question, how is he going to do that? How is he going to do that without jeopardizing who he is? Your relationship with your Father in heaven is broken. It's destroyed. So how then do we get what God promises? What about restoration? How can it be completely good again? And then the answer. The answer is, is interesting. It does not simply say, well, it's just impossible. Because the possibility isn't a promise. And so it actually confirms that it is possible. And here is how it works. How can it be good again between you and God? Make sure you pay God what you owe Him. Make sure that you pay God what you owe Him. Now remember, God is merciful and just. In Exodus, uh, He calls Himself a jealous God who will not acquit the wicked. And in Romans 2, Paul talks about God's righteous judgment on the day of His wrath. And God, God sticks to that. This is how He is. This, is. this is the God who keeps His word. He demands that His justice be satisfied. And no one can get around that. That's a hard condition for salvation. God's demand, God's will is not open for debate. It's non-negotiable. So what are we talking about? what God demands, what God's will is all about. Lots of people have all kinds of ideas as to what they think that the will of God is, what God wants them to do. And it's often based on what they feel, their experience. I'm sure you have heard people say things like, oh, I feel that God approves of what I'm doing here. What I'm doing is in accordance with the will of God. Why is that? Because I feel comfortable with it. Or somebody says, this experience in my life has convinced me that God wants me to do this or that. The problem is, how do you know that what you feel is the will of God? And not just your own imagination, your own wishful thinking. How about first listening to what God himself says in his word about his will, his demands, his expectations, before you get carried away by what you feel? In Matthew 22, Jesus summarizes for us what God's will is all about. There's a very well-known text, of course, the summary of the law. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's where it has to start. As a consequence of that one, there's the second one. You must also love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we may not always like it when God says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I expect to see in your life. 
We may not always like it, but you know, it's the end of the discussion. And that means here, the Holy God holds you and me accountable. And so the only way of salvation is that in one way or another, we satisfy God. We satisfy God's justice by doing exactly what He wants us to do. Not according to my standards, not according to your standards, but according to His own standards. That doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? But, but let's not forget, God does not have any obligation, neither to himself or to you or to me or anybody else, to do something about the death sentence that we have brought upon ourselves. God is not obligated to do something about it. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 1 verse 5, God acts in accordance with his pleasure and his will. That doesn't mean we are at the mercy of some unpredictable power. God is not an unpredictable power, but it does mean that we are never able or never allowed to judge or to criticize what God wants us to do. That's beyond our competence. In other words, if it is God's will that his justice be satisfied, then that's the way to do it then that's the only way of salvation that God the Father is showing us. This is how he wants to save you. Full payment must be made. Clean up your act. Fix your problem. Pay your debts. Do away with your sins. All of them. Make a clean sweep in your relationship with God. Make sure there's nothing, nothing in your life left to be ashamed of. And keep it that way. God insists on it. And he has to. Otherwise his justice would no longer be justice. Otherwise God would no longer be God. His reliability is at stake. Here is God's will, God's way of salvation. It will be completely good again between God and you if you make sure that all your debts are paid off either by yourself or by someone else. Now recognize in these last two words, recognize there already the sound of the great news that God has in store for us, that he sent his son for the forgiveness of our sins. You remember Lord's Day 1, the very beginning of the catechism? Belonging to Christ is full of comfort. Why? Not because Jesus is such a nice man or he's such a wise man, but because he has fully paid for all my sins. And, and because God is opening that door, that makes it possible to face without fear the next question. Can we ourselves make this payment? Now, if you would not have the last few words in the previous answer, it would be a frightening question. It would be a, a painful confrontation with yourself, with who you really are. The answer is certainly not. It echoes the reality that we deserve God's punishment. It's clear enough, brothers and sisters, we have nothing to pay with. Every day we make it worse. Answer 13 is the death blow for every human effort to get right with God. It's not going to work, no matter how hard you try. You can use religious piety. You can use philosophical wisdom. 
You can use social activities. You can be nice and fair and honest and just, and you work hard, you name it. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things. But the point is, is God's glory in the center for 100%? And is it good enough to meet His perfect standards? Certainly not. Well, what about yours? What if you cannot do it yourself? Okay. What about that another one mentioned in answer 12? Do you have to think of what? Do you have to think of any of God's creatures, an angel? No. Here again we face the holy God who holds you and me accountable for what we do. The soul who sins shall die. Ezekiel 18 verse 4. Besides that, no creature will survive the overwhelming power of the wrath of the, of the Creator. Who knows the power of your anger, Moses says in Psalm 90. Who knows your wrath according to the fear of you. No, no, from here, from this side, from our perspective, every single road towards God is blocked by unsurmountable obstacles that we put in the way. Why is this important to remember? Because in that way, you are directed to the only, the only alternative. The road of restoration and renewal, God the Father reveals to us in His Word. Beyond that, there is nothing. We learn to seek the mediator and savior that God Himself comes up with. Not as an option, not as an assumption, not as a dream or a desire, as the reality, the only reality, the reality of a Savior who is true God and true man. And that is not just some creative human idea, some smart theological concept, no. Here you meet the living Christ, and you meet Him as God and man. The Lord God wants to clear away entirely all your sins and all your misery. And that's why your Father in heaven revealed this unique and amazing way of salvation. This is so surprising, really, when you think of it. This is overwhelming. This is so perplexing, this marvelous gift of the Father's love, the Father's compassion, your mediator and your Savior, is God. He is so great, He is so majestic, that even the highest heaven cannot contain Him. At the same time, He became so little, He became so humble, that even a manger and a cross were big enough to hold Him, your Savior and mediator. Oh, it's true. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you anything new. It's so familiar. Most of you will have heard it numerous, numerous, numerous times. And yet, it continues to be incredibly amazing. You cannot understand, you cannot comprehend, you can only believe and praise the great glory of God's way of salvation. And, and, and this, brothers and sisters, is only going to increase when you continue to read this part of your confession. Recognize in the Lord's Day 6 how God the Father unfolds that. He unfolds the height and the depth of His grace. 
Such a unique mediator is not only required, in his love the Father makes it possible. And how? On the pages of the Bible, the Lord reveals the reality that this is your mediator, God and man. That's amazing. He was that already before he came. He is called the eternal word. But this eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us, says John, when the man, Jesus, appears in the world. God the Father points at that man who says about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Father points at him, and he says a few times, He is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so you get to know your Savior. You get to know your Savior as a true man and a true God. The questions in Lord's Day 6 as to why it was necessary for him, these two natures, these questions are not searching for a rational explanation. I want you to understand that. It's not a matter of giving a rational explanation. The intention for us is that we grow in trust, that we do have a Savior who is up to the job. We do not have a Savior who's going to fail somewhere down the line. We do have a Savior who can do it and who will do it. Jesus is who He is for your salvation. So that you may enjoy the saving grace of God and praise His name. At the root of this reality of your Savior was divine human nature. You meet again God's justice, the fact of God's permanent and firm faithfulness to His promises. Remember how it was in the very beginning, the time that the first covenant arrangements were made with Adam and Eve. Obey me, and you will live, says God. Disobey me, and you won't die. Very simple, straightforward, but clear. Until this very day, God holds himself and you and me and everyone else to this arrangement. Obey me and you will live. Disobey me, you will die. Adam and Eve failed to obey. And without any exception, we all continued to fail miserably. But then Jesus came. And he came to take our place, our position in this covenant arrangement. And he can do so. He can do so, for he is a real man. And as a real man, he shares in everything that we all have in common with Adam before he sinned. He's a human, like you and me. In Hebrews 2, verse 14, we hear this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. It's about Jesus. Hebrews 4, verse 15. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's about Jesus. And so according to the Apostle Paul, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. And in this way, my brother, my sister, in this way, Jesus comes so close to you. So close as one of us. And therefore able to take your place. He can do it. To set you free from powers of sin and Satan. 
And you need that. You need it because of spite of all your own efforts and good intentions, you will not be able to make it. Not for yourself, let alone for another. But Christ alone, He is the way of your salvation. He is the only way. You know, you can choose many roads to find happiness in your life. We are all searching for happiness. And the culture of the day wants you to believe that, you know, it doesn't really matter which road you take to find happiness as long as you feel happy. As long as you are comfortable with yourself. When you die, it's all over anyway. And just in case it won't be over when you die, because you never know, don't worry too much. As long as you feel happy, as long as you feel comfortable with the road that you have chosen in your life, then you and I and everyone will somehow end up at the same place and we will all be okay forever. It's an old lie. And don't believe it. Without Jesus Christ, no one will ever be able to reach God and survive His justice. In the Old Testament, God had given an enormous set of detailed instructions and regulations for holy living with Him, the Holy God. Everything that was unholy, was unclean, and and unrighteous had to be kept away from God. There was nothing wrong with this law, but for sinful people, it became a killer. Living with the Holy God is dangerous. Dangerous. Time and again, the people of Israel found out How dangerous. And today, it's the same. Naturally, for you and me, living with the Holy God is dangerous. But as your mediator, Christ took upon himself to be your replacement. He came to fulfill all God's requirements by his passive and active obedience in his one sacrifice on the cross. The one sacrifice that was needed and sufficient to give you access, free access, to your Father. To make that work, God's amazing grace designed also that Christ must at the same time be true God, as the Catechism puts it. At the same time, and, and, and I want you to keep that in mind, at the same time, throughout history, many people have said either one. Jesus is a real true human being, a nice and a wise guy, but it's not God. Or they said the opposite. Jesus is just God. Jesus is just a divine being. But the whole idea that it is actually both at the same time, that's a hard concept to wrap your head around. Who can do that? And yet to the Jews, Jesus said these remarkable words, before Abraham was born, I am. It's in John 8. Just be humble. And be totally amazed. And the 17 refers back to what was said already in 14 about the terrible burden of God's eternal wrath. Think again of Moses' words in Psalm 90. We are consumed by your anger, terrified by your indignation. You know, you, you, you can go wherever you want to go in this world, but you will not find any creature who can take the whole burden upon himself and escape wholesale destruction. There is no one except Jesus Christ. And so again, He is the only way of salvation. Without Him, you will never be able to make it. 
That's why Jesus is as he is, God and man. Same time. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to comprehend it. But marvel, stand in awe and praise and worship. He was punished for our sins, but he did not perish. He was killed, and yet he is alive. Via his death and humiliation, he became the glorious king of life. And in this way, his victory became your victory. He became poor to make us rich. He earned the reward of righteousness and life, only to give it away as a free gift of grace to you and all who believe in him. Are you still surprised? Are you still astonished because of that amazing reality of God's way of salvation? You should. Oh, again, I know, it can easily become so familiar. It becomes so ordinary, such a matter of course, that this tremendous miracle of God's love hardly moves your heart. And yet you and I need to hear it. You and I need to hear it time and again. The word of God in Romans 8, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, God condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Only when we live according to the Spirit. This Son of God, who by His blood washes away all your sins, He is the way of salvation as revealed by the Father. Praise the God of all blessings for His deep love. What seemed to be impossible, beyond anybody's imagination, it turned out to be possible indeed to escape God's punishment and again be received into God's favor in this one unique way. None of us, none of us would ever have thought of something like this. The Almighty God alone can come up with this. That's why Jesus has been given to you. Given. It's a personal presence to each one of you. He alone can save you from the most terrible threat in your life. And how? Look at answer 18. Answer 18. It sounds like a song of praise. We are fools. He is our wisdom. We are guilty. He is our righteousness. We are unholy and unclean. He is our sanctification. We are condemned to death. He is our redemption. What a wonderful song of grace. Christ alone is your new life. He is the way, the only way. God himself has told you so. And so you better believe it. Finally, gee, God's amazing way of salvation opened to us by the Holy Spirit. Because the way of your salvation is the way of faith. Right? The way of being grafted into Christ by true faith. That's the only way that will give you access to all the benefits that Jesus is bringing. And it's the Holy Spirit who does that in your life. And we, we've read about that in Romans 8. Here Paul stresses that living out of the saving work of Jesus is always a matter of living through the power of the Spirit. But, but how does the Holy Spirit do that? What are the tools of the trade of the Holy Spirit? Well, at first sight, it may not look very impressive. I mean, 
The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to perform spectacular miracles. And you may have met Pentecostal people who say that, who have experienced that, at least they claim. The powerful miracles of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he can do that, that's not the point. But look at question answer 19. How does the Holy Spirit work? He works with the Word. Now that sounds very simple. But that's what he does. He has taken care that the gospel of salvation was written down so that, so that you don't depend on spectacular miracles that might happen or might not happen. But that you have the Bible. It was written down. And each one of you can hear it and read it. The Spirit works with the gospel, the good news of God's amazing salvation in Jesus Christ. Before it was all written down, God had spoken when he revealed himself and gave his promises. Think of God's first revelation in paradise, the wonderful expression of his love and compassion. Then already, when he called Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were scared, Adam and Eve were ashamed. They were running away from God, and God called them, and God spoke about death, but he also spoke about words of life. And these first words were followed by many others. Patriarchs, prophets passed them on. Various circumstances, different ways. You could also see it when the people of God came to worship in the temple, in all the sacrifices and other rituals. And always again, it was the Holy Spirit who filled God's people with joy and inspires them because of the great news of salvation. Finally, God did what he had promised. He gave his only son. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us from Bethlehem to Golgotha. He who believes in the Son of God has eternal life, says John. This means according to Romans 8, therefore, is that a beautiful way to start the chapter of Romans 8? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They will not perish through Adam, but they will live. Paul calls it the law of the spirit of life. So it's a law, it's a rule. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. Because it is the Holy Spirit who makes you believe in Christ. That's the only way to be saved. Now since long the gospel of grace has been written down. First in the Old Testament, then the New Testament. The word became scripture. And so it continues to dwell among us today. You have it in your pews. The Bibles you took along. Everyone can read it. And the Spirit makes sure that time and again it is being told and proclaimed so that you will not forget. Now God the Father made the same gospel of grace visible in the sacraments. The water of baptism and the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. I can imagine that you're looking forward to that next week. Also in the sacraments, the word of God's grace is dwelling among us. So know the word. My brothers, my sisters, know the word. Believe it and trust it and follow it. This is how the Holy Spirit breaks open human hearts. This is how he opens the way of God's salvation in your life. The way of faith. And that's what you need. This is what everyone needs. There's no other possible way to share in this life-saving gift of Jesus. Now, why should not all men enjoy these benefits? 
That's the last question and answer that we are running into here. I mean, and many people struggle with that question, right? That's question 20. Doesn't it make sense? We're all in the same boat. And Jesus came to undo all the terrible consequences of what Adam had done. Salvation from sin is a gift. Is that? A gift of grace and a gift of love. So, so why would God pass over anyone when he distributes his gifts? Don't we think too small, too narrow about God when we think or say that? Sounds a bit reasonable. Pretty obvious, actually. Don't you think so? But the word of God is clear about it. Think of Jesus' own words. The Father gave his one and only Son. And one of the most well-known texts from the Bible. John 3, verse 16. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Jesus came here to take care of all your payments. Yeah? That's the message. It's a gift, all right. It's a wonderful gift. So please do not refuse him to make payments for you. You can do so. You can do so. You can hear about it and walk away and say, forget it. I don't care about it. I don't need your payments. You can do that. Then you won't see the benefits. In that sense, God does respect your and my responsibility. But go this way of salvation out of grace, my brother, my sister. Go the way revealed by the Father. Go the way that is present in Jesus Christ the Son. And go the way that is open for you by the Holy Spirit of God. Believe and love your Savior. This is what salvation is all about. And this is how simple it is. It is so simple that it is sometimes hard to believe. It is so familiar, and it is so amazing. As C.S. Lewis put it, never stop being surprised by this great joy. Amen.